When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Watford Bars, all three of us here today. Uh, I'm back after my little holiday. I went away to, to enjoy... Uh, a wedding. Uh, it was very nice. I, I had a bit of a party and um, got to see my old mate get married, which was fantastic. Um, so in my absence, uh, you guys did a fantastic job. By the way, Tom, um, future host potential there, because that was some serious good hosting. I don't know why I'm surprised, because you did um, the conference call for, for quite a bit of time and, and you was a solid host then as well. But thank you for filling in and, and you guys did a fantastic job. So I wanted to get that out of uh, the way early doors. It's very kind of you to say. A solid host, but it sounds like he's sounds like he's lacking some flair and, and, and technique, like uh, <laughs> some of the display we saw yesterday. Yeah, you're, you're the you're the, the Craig Kafka uh, or, or the Tom Cleverly of hosts, Tom. Oh, I thought he was more of a coach to play in right midfield of hosts. You know? <laughs> like he's there, he's going to put the effort in. That's not a he's great, not, uh, <laughs> you know, way of describing Tom's hosting abilities. Not offensively bad, but just lacking, <laughs> lacking something. Not offensively oh, bad. That's oh, not wow. good at all. Well, uh, uh, you know, I think that you did a solid job, guys, and thank you for filling. I really enjoyed listening back to that actually um, on my drive home, and um, you know, the optimism there um, really got me looking forward to the Brighton game. <laughs> Sorry um, about that. <laughs> well, that's come back to bite us on the arse, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at least you sort of made it feel good up until that point. But oh yeah. gosh, what a poor game! Um, Tom, you've made quite a few notes about about the game. I, I wonder if you can take us through sort of those and 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 you know tell us the story of of what happened. Sure. I mean, I don't want to burn all my uh, material in in one hit, but it was just you you took the positives from Burnley, and you took fewer from West Ham, and you took fewer again yesterday. I think, if any. Um, I think we were all a little bit surprised by certainly gauging by Twitter with the team selection that it was so functional and, and so workmanlike at home with four central midfielders in mid, in midfield. But I could even I could even understand that knowing you know what Brighton strengths are. You know they've got two flying wing backs, particularly on the right, Tarek Lamptey 
but Mark Kukare on the on the left as well. So okay, fine. So you're going to have kind of workmanlike, industrious midfielders out on the flanks in Cleverly and Kutzka, and you know they're probably going to have to spend a lot of time helping their fullbacks deal with the threat of those guys. But that didn't even to me really seem to happen. They seem more often than not they seem to kind of come inside and form quite a or try at least and form a fairly sort of compact, as, as Jordan said on the previous pod, you know, kind of four-man kind of box midfield at times. And, and Lamptey and, and Kukurea, to a lesser extent, were just able to keep coming and coming down the sides. Um, and it was absolutely no surprise to me that, that the first goal came from from one of those situations in the end. Um, overall, it was, you know, it was a boring first half. Nothing really happened. I don't think there was two sides that, you know, we, I don't think, I can't, I was watching I was, the clock and I was like, I don't think we've actually got into their half and completed, made a pass until about the eighth or ninth minute. Um, and, it, you know, it didn't get much better from there. They dominated the ball and, okay, you know, we know they're a possession-heavy side and I think Roy Hodgson would be quite happy to see possession and sit in. But at home, you just think, and as we were saying last week, you know, we're burning through games. At some point, you just have to go on the front foot and say, we're going to have a go, a bit of a go at this because as, as Jordan rightly said, I'm taking kind of all of Jordan's points here and rehashing them and repurposing them, but it's, it's all true. Um, you know, we're not going to defend our way out of this. We, we, we have to shoot our way out of this. I feel like I'm going to say that phrase a lot between now and the end of the season. So the approach just seemed uber negative and obviously there were changes at halftime and, and something had to happen because it had been so poor, um, which kind of papered over the cracks for the first 15 minutes maybe of the second half Imran Loser unlike his kind of midfield compatriots actually looked like he knew the appropriate level of power to place on each pass and, and connected with teammates which was quite an interesting concept um, Saar ran at people which was fun to watch but you know it all kind of fizzled out and we lost any kind of foothold we had after that 15 minutes, we, we lost. The game became open, which happens obviously when you're chasing a match. Mm. And Brighton just sort of, I think, grew in confidence thereafter and, and you know, had opportunities even before they got the second, which which killed it late on. So yeah, all in all, just a really, really dispiriting day at the office. And I was positive at the end, or tried to be positive at the end of the, the Burnley and West Ham pod, but I just can't be positive today i'm sorry well, let's go back to that first half jordan you put out a tweet that said that it felt it felt to you as though roy's plan was to try and get through to basically the last 20 minutes of the game with it being goalless and then try and do something from that point onwards uh, i don't think that was a tweet that i made but i've oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, i thought it was you i thought that was you <laughs> i mean that, that's the, the problem is you approach the game in some capacity with with that mindset in the sense that you're trying to keep things Try to keep things tight and try to keep yourself in the game. I, I mean, just getting back to the the lineup a little bit quickly before we move on. Um, the, we talked about in the previous podcast too. It it's a very, it's a very not divisive actually at all. It's quite unanimous that everyone wants to see a little bit more offensive threat in in these games. Uh, and, and we kind of feared the, the biggest fear we had going into it is that we'd see they're kind of something similar in terms of having those wide midfielders playing kind of in the wide positions, central midfielders playing out wide, sorry. And we saw that straight away, of course, and it was it was disappointing. It kind of shows you how we plan to approach the game. It kind of played out exactly as we feared. We we kind of hoped we'd have a little bit more of an offensive threat in there. I know Saar just came back, so 
having him on the bench is maybe understandable. We had options to play uh, to, to make that a little bit more offensively minded, just create some balance. And I think balance was really what was missing again yesterday. We just looked disconnected. We didn't look a threat. Uh, we kind of looked okay off the ball for large portions, but still, you, for that to be beneficial, you have to be posing a threat in some regard. And we just really didn't. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of, as you say, you, want, you may want to keep yourself in the game till to the end or kind of later on and then try and nick something. But when you go down in, in the first half, especially the way we did, it, it makes it really difficult to to kind of continue that. And I know we tried to make changes and, and change things in the second half, but these are games where you have to be starting from the beginning with an idea and, and at least some avenue of winning the game. I, I think we're at the point now where uh, we were saying, Tom and I were saying just before we start recording, these are no longer at the point now where you can look at these games in isolation. You have to you have to think of it as a bigger picture because whilst you might look at it in, in a singular setting and say, okay, maybe if you want to be a little bit conservative, not risk too much the win, try and go for the win. But if we end up with a draw, you know, that's okay. We can That's fine. But we want to build some momentum right now and we have to start winning games, not just for the three points. We have to actually put a run together to get out of the situation. And to put a run together, you need to build some momentum. And whether that comes from us losing a game, playing positively and building some momentum there and in turn having a better run of form. But just to keep this kind of methodical kind of off the ball work is fine, it's good, but then there's just no flair, there's no energy. I just can't see us turning that around in in a number of weeks. I'm finding it hard to understand what Roy's plan is, Jordan. Have you been able to see from what you've seen in the first three games what his what his idea is, what he's trying to achieve? Well, I mean, the plan is to... Yeah. Go on. I was going to say, which, so, sometimes I um, I can I can see a plan that uh, maybe isn't working, but I can at least see what the idea is behind it. And and you know when you get lots of fans sitting behind you, and they're like, "Oh, what's he doing there?" And, you know, you, you're thinking, "Well, you know, I I know what he's doing. It's just maybe that isn't working." But I can see the I can see the idea. But when I'm watching the football so far under Roy, I haven't really been able to work out. What what his what his goal is, and it's making me worried because I have I'm not able to defend him as 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 maybe I would do with previous managers because I'd be able to see what it is they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean the thing the the, the problem is the fund the fundamental aspect of Roy Hodgson is going to be his off the ball work, how you know his discipline, the structure, working together as a unit off the ball, which is great. That's that's good. So in terms of Roy's plan, what we, what you're seeing on the pitch is what we what we're getting off the ball. That's what that's the foundation to what he's trying to do. We see how we organise the unit, we defend as a unit, but it's the that's that's evident. That's that's coming through. You can see, and that that's that's away. definitely improved as well. I mean, it's it's evident for everyone to see that we're a much better defensive unit. Almost you know, almost immediately under under Roy in his first nil nil um, against Burnley, we you could see that there'd been some work done in that area. Yeah, and credit to him, it's not it's not just a case of when we've had other coaches where when Kike came in last time, he kind of changed that. He changed the shape, he brought in an extra centre-back and we, he just closed things and allocated so many assets to defending. It made us better defensively, but we didn't really improve in, in lots of the ways we were defending. But with with, with Hodgson, I do think he's actually got us organised. We're defending well. Off the ball, we can look quite stable at times. The problem is we see we see a weakness in in Hodgson, which has been evident at previous clubs, including his, his most recent job at Palace, is how do you then transition during the flow of the game and become a more offensive outfit when you need to strike and you need you need the opportunity to score goals? At Palace, same as he's had at other clubs, he had that that talent and 
for example, Wilfred Zaha, which is someone who can give you some some inspiration in the final third and maybe carry a team a little bit and carry some carry some of that burden of lack of a offensive kind of structure and, and do things on his own a little bit and help bring others into play himself. Now, we have that to some degree in the likes of Dennis and Ismail Assar, but it's a big gamble for that to be your offensive structure. I know it's an easy thing to say to kind of, you know, we need to be more balanced, etc. But, you know, when we go back to the lineup, you don't give yourself the opportunity to, to do so. You're, you're really, really kind of undercutting yourself. And we're at the point where we have to win games uh, and we have to build some momentum. And I think continuing the way we are, it's really difficult to see how how we have enough firepower to get ourselves out if we are going to continue with those with those lineups and that we we can't keep looking back at these games and saying okay well next game we've got to do this next game we don't it's, it's past that point now I think I mean this could almost be too this could almost be way too late as it is um, and but right now against Brighton they're a good team they're a better a better drilled team than us and that's the sort of that's the sort of team you should be looking at to to how you can take those fundamental points of Hodgson's kind of beliefs and philosophies of football, which are, which is fine, but then also incorporate things down the other end of the pitch and allow them to come together and be something a little bit more, a little bit more balanced because Brighton are a prime example of the sort of football and club, especially on the pitch that we would like to be. Uh, and I think the two really contrast each other yesterday and, you know, it kind of played out how we feared. Tom, um, Dennis was someone who looked like in the first half as though he was having, um, you know, some of Watford's best moments of play but it just wasn't able to to make that the final chance for himself did he have um a, a sub a subpar game by his own standards yes by his own standards but I still think he was probably one of the more dangerous and threatening players by quite a long chalk yesterday that's not to say that I wasn't personally getting very frustrated with him at the game because it felt like on two or three occasions and I watched match of the day back this morning to confirm this in my own mind it felt like on two or three occasions he dribbled from you know, good areas into bad areas or wriggled into a position mm. where he was crowded out when actually if he'd have pulled the trigger sooner and the classic example here, I think, was the second half one where he beat uh, one of the Brighton defenders, I can't remember who it was, and then beat someone else or beat the same defender again before shooting. And it just made the, it's, it, to my mind, it made the opportunity harder. And I suspect, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think, that that is probably a product of him knowing he's short of form and trying extra hard, but also trying to take the extra touch to increase the, the opportunity to score in his own mind. You know, if I just take one extra touch, the angle will be better or the, there'll be fewer bodies in front of me, when actually sometimes you've just got to hit the ball a bit earlier. And I thought, I mean, I thought that was a problem throughout yesterday, but he had two in the first half, didn't he? We sort of drove up the left-hand side of him. Uh, you know, two of the few opportunities we had really. One, uh, one where Ben Foster slipped, clicking, kicking the ball, cleverly helped it onto, and there was another one down the left hand side. He kind of came across the penalty area, and on one of them, he should have hit the ball first earlier, but he chopped back onto his left and diminished the angle. And on the other one, if he picked his head up, he'd have seen that Josh King was in a good space, in a good place in the penalty area for a change. Um, and it was just frustrating, mm. I think. But I, I don't want to lambast him because. You know, that is what he's done for much of the season. And more often than not, his decision-making has been good, or at least often enough to score eight goals. His decision-making has been very good. But yesterday, and this is why I tie it to confidence, because he had the suspension and and a few games without scoring and whatnot, he just looked like a player who wanted to take the extra touch when he would have instinctively shot sooner and probably at least worked Robert Sanchez a bit more than he did uh, on another day. He hit the bar, didn't he, with that third chance is the one I'm thinking of. Not they forced him into the save, but you take my point. Yeah. I'll say in, in defence of Dennis there, I, I think 
that that was kind of a a problem for the entire offensive aspect of the team. I think yeah. this is this is an issue which you know Roy should Roy should be fully aware of this. I'm I'm sure he's experienced it before. But when you when you play in such a defensive manner uh, with such limited possession, I know the first half especially it was kind of borderline ridiculous how how little control we had of the ball. Uh, and then you kind of get into the opposition third. Everything is so heightened. It's it's so it's so panicked. It's hard to find rhythm. Um, you know that you're going to be you know you're going to be limited to opportunities. So you don't have that freedom to kind of express yourself and kind of make some more risky decisions and, and try and be a little bit more open because this might be your one chance. You have that half. And you have to make a count. And it changes the way that players play. And some players really don't thrive with that. They're not. They're not. They want to play kind of instinctually, and then suddenly you're putting in this pressure into their mind to to execute these these really difficult situations in a in a small window of time, and it just creates this disrupted forward movement, which we've seen so many times. We've seen countless times now in, in, in recent years that we've had coaches come in and try to play in that sense, which is understandable when you're a team that's trying to avoid relegation or you're kind of the underdog naturally you're going to be in a situation where you have less of the ball you have to counterattack, and you have to capitalize on less chances but when you really when you really kind of whittle that down even further and make it a fundamental aspect of your game that we're going to be in games we have one or two chances a game and we've got to take them to get three points do, i don't think we had the players to do that i don't think we have had the players to do that for a long time not in this division not to the quality that we need and it's it's a it's a tough one to do and that's kind of what we go back to there, Tom. Earlier on, when you said about shooting your way out of the league, I think we're in a situation up the league. So I think we're in a situation we have to be finding ways to score goals. I know that's obvious, but I mean at the expense, perhaps, of some defensive structure. Now I know that's maybe kind of grass is greener commentary based on the fact that we had Ranieri who tried to do something similar. But there's a balance, there's, there's an in between there. We don't have to go so so far either side. But clearly, the way we're going right now, it's not enough for us to come out of games with three points if we're not actually having chances on goal and forcing these players to take these chances on the, the few occasions that they get them. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And and I think what was um, what was just damning yesterday was that we didn't we didn't have a, a shot on target until the 88th minute. You just think, have, you know, and, and it's, it's very sort of reductive to say, but just have a pop, you know. We didn't, we were almost too scared, I thought, at times to break out of, the kind of rigidity of what we've been told to do um, in advance of, of the game, what, you know, whatever the kind of instructions have been in the dressing room. And across three games under Roy Hodgson, we've now had three shots on target. That's, sorry, that's a lie. We've had seven shots on target. Three would really would be bad. Um, but two of those games have been one shot on target apiece. And you just think, you know, we, we evidently can't defend, but we've talked about, and we talked even in the last pod where I said, you know, we've 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 lauded these kind of front players. We need to give them, you know, release, you know, the shackles. And Roy Hodgson a couple of times has now kind of snapped back at this point, hasn't he, about um, being too defensively minded. But I do think we have to, uh, we have to at least give these players the opportunity. Saul, Pedro, Josh King, again, who seems to do more most of his work, and you know, you can never criticise him for not working hard, but seems to do most of his work in the channels and well outside of the penalty area again yesterday. You know, are we going to see Kalu at some point? I'm not saying he's the answer by any means. And the fact that he's been kind of unused to this point suggests that, you know, he's probably not one for the the now. But we do have attackers. And I just think there's there's something to be said for taking the game on the front foot at the, at the right times and in the right moments and against the right opponents. You obviously do that against Man City. You're going to get annihilated Liverpool the same. But... 
we've proven so spectacularly over the course of a season that we cannot defend. Um, it's it, it just seems like a no-brainer to me to actually be a bit more positive. Even you know, even from uh, from kickoff yesterday, Brighton kept the ball and tried to break us down. You know, we get it and we're scared to hold on to it. And the, the, and I think the, the other thing as well, I don't think we've mentioned this, but just the generally yesterday. This was a team-wide problem, but a couple of players bore the brunt of it. The passing was atrocious. You know, our ability to retain the ball on the few occasions we got it, it was pathetic. There was no other word for it. Cleverly and Kutzka probably were the two, for me, that were the, the biggest culprits. But, you know, it, it applied to pretty much everyone at one point or another. And Kutzka, for a professional footballer, the amount of times where he either underhit it to his intended recipient and they just nipped in and intercepted it, or he clubbed it so hard that the person that was meant to be on the end of it couldn't get near it. It was like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Too hot, too cold, just in the, just find the bloody you know professional footballer. Hit the ball with the right velocity for the distance that it needs to travel and the amount of players it needs to get past. I just couldn't understand. You know, and I, and I tweeted this at the time. I want to like Kutsu because I think he does a lot of good work off the ball out of possession. And, you know, he's... Call me a you know gammon. Call me a bit Brexit football, but he does run around like a lunatic and kick people, and I've got a lot of time for that. But you know when he gets on the ball, my God, he's a liability, isn't he? There's, there's no other word for it. I've gone massively off tangent, but I just realised we haven't really addressed that point. So, well, yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to address that point as well. I, I don't understand how he keeps getting picked. Maybe, maybe it's for the reasons you've just outlined there, Tom. Because I, I, to be honest. I'm more focused on what players are doing when they when they have the ball rather than when they don't, and and that is an area I need to probably look at more. But I just I felt as though I could get behind the decision to leave Sar on the bench, given that he'd only rejoined up with the squad very recently. But I think not starting with loser was a real uh, missed opportunity there, and I, I don't think that that Kutska should be starting the game I just haven't seen much from him that uh that, that that makes me feel like he he adds to the team but I don't know but what's your opinion Jordan T- tell me I'm wrong <laughs> no unfortunately you're not wrong I mean I think it goes back to what we okay firstly in terms of possession the, the two that you mentioned in, in Kushka and Cleverly were yeah they were very bad and those two positions, those wide midfielder roles in this in this system, this 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 variation of four four two, it's arguably the most important two roles because they are they are that bridge between attack and defence. They're there to provide some more defensive structure, some some tactical flexibility. They're able to play in such a position as they're comfortable doing so. They can narrow up, but they've also got to be able to contribute from wide areas. And generally, those players that are going to be playing in those in those wider areas, if they're central midfielders traditionally. You're not expecting them to be guys that are carrying the ball as much. People that can take their players on and and cut pay, uh, and cut teams apart with their with their pace. It's more to do with their the use of the ball, their possession, how they can play the ball into the forward areas. Like we said in the previous episode, how we saw with the likes of Will Hughes um, under under Javi Gracia and and even under Kike, we had with Alman Abdi. These are players that are, are known to be able to kind of play in those forward areas, play the ball forwards, find their find their forwards, find find attacking avenues through the different ways. But when you have these two guys that are playing there, who aren't able to do that, as well as not being able to take on their man, you literally just end up with two defensive players. And could we find some balance by having someone more offensively minded on one of the sides? Could you start? Ishmael Asar or Dennis is one of the wide players, then you have a kind of a little bit of a lopsided shape, but you've got some some more balance there. Yeah, you could, but we're not doing that. And to have those two guys being so wasteful in possession, it allows for no ball retention at all. But obviously that's not the primary concern for us. But the 
the fact that we have no threat going forwards and no way of finding these forwards apart from just sheer luck or just effort from the front two, it, it makes it almost impossible for us. And I mean, you, you could definitely argue for not, them not being picked. I know Loser and Saar just came back from from international break. So I'm, I'm sorry, from their AFCON. So I, I know there's an element of them maybe not being ready to be straight into the team. But the fact when you look at that bench and you have Chicho Hernandez, Jao Pedro, Imran Loser, Ismail Saar on the bench, it's really... It's very difficult to to kind of find a justification for at least not one of them being in that starting lineup. But having Imran Loser and he he's a prime example. If you're going to play that wide midfielder and you want a central midfielder to play in that, why, why isn't Imran Loser playing there? He's someone that is able to do multiple things in attacking situations as well as still give you that defensive solidity and use of possession, retaining the ball. It, it's crazy. Maybe maybe next game he'll be playing in there. But if we get into the if we get into the game against Villa and Yurash Kutcher and Tom's Cleverly are still occupying those wide areas. I I think hope is lost. I don't see how we, I don't see how we think that we're in a situation we can win games in that capacity. Because yesterday is not an isolated incident. That's something we're going to see for large portions of games if we continue in the same way. There's no doubt because they simply are not good enough to execute that role in the way we need to get out of this situation. Loser made an instant impact, didn't he, Tom? Yeah, he did. I think it was virtually his first pass. He sort of swept it out first time, left foot, you know, 30 yard ball or whatever it was out to Ismail Saf. It wasn't his first, it was one of his first. And just, you know, just the fact that he was looking forward, you know, he seemed to be one step ahead. He he was ready to receive the ball, he knew what was going to happen, he just whipped it out to where it needed to go. It was such a refreshing change from the rest of them just sort of plodding around, going backwards, going sideways, losing it. Look, sometimes you've got to go backwards and sideways, and if, you know, you're better to have the ball than lose it, but you do also have to take risks. And this is what I was kind of talking about earlier, or ranting about earlier, maybe is more more apt. Um, but he made such a difference. I must be honest, you know, I always think when you have you have a player like, uh, well, not like Loser, a situation like Loser, where he kind of had a few good performances, didn't he, before AFCON. And then he goes to AFCON and we're suffering and we're thinking, oh God, everything would be so much better if Loser was here. Um you know, that kind of absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of uh, mentality. But honestly, if he's not starting every game uh, between now and the end of the season when fit in that kind of, you know, offering that uh, kind of thing, then Roy Hodgson is missing a trick because he was the only one yesterday in in the kind of midfield that really looked like he was going to be positive and make something happen. Um, And it's quite, I thought it was quite fitting that he, you know, probably nearly killed his Watford career at Brighton away, didn't he? Got hooked at half time, was absent and what have you. But yesterday, I thought it was really, you know, just a a marker in the sand that, yeah, he is an important player for us. He's he's up to speed, he knows what's required, and he has to be playing uh, week in, week out now. Mm. I think there's also an element too where you just you assess these players in. In training and and you have an idea of how they're going to perform. You get them set up. They're playing against the subs. They're playing against the reserves. They're playing threes. You have these ideas of how they're going to operate. And it can look like it's maybe functioning a little bit. But the problem is when you get them in a competitive Premier League fixture. I just think the the golfing quality is just too much, and we just we just succumb to it so easily. I don't think we we imposed ourselves for any portion of that game apart from when loser came on at the beginning of the second half. We had a little bit more pace, a little bit of energy. There was no. There was no wrestle for control of that game. We were just completely, we were in the mouth of Brighton the entire time, and it, I just think that you can't, you can't have much hope when you're at home, 
this is an opportunity for you. I'm not saying Brighton are a bad team by any means. They're a good team. They're a significantly better team than us. But we could be playing better teams than Brighton in weeks to come still. And we have to find ways to, to kind of capitalise. And it means taking risks sometimes. It means potentially losing a game to Brighton, which we're gonna, we lost anyway. That's always the possibility. I know we're kind of looking in hindsight, but to take no risk is just... It, it's extremely frustrating. And yeah, it, 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 does, it does make things hard to be positive about. The only thing I can say is this is kind of the last time I feel like we can even justify having this conversation and saying it. But the next game, we have to see those changes from the off. And that, that's the kind of biggest thing for me against Villa. Do we see the, the, kind of, the team sheet that comes out at two o'clock? That is when we're going to know what chance we have, in my opinion. Yeah, as he learns. It's funny, yeah. at the start of the season, we, um, we were sort of lambasting the, the defence, weren't we? It was, that was the problem area that we needed to resolve you know, we've been talking so far in this pod probably about for about half an hour or so, and we haven't actually mentioned the defence once yet. It seems as though that's an area that we've kind of fixed, but the, the problem has moved. It's shifted to to the midfield. At least that that's what it seems to be because we we've been we've been going on about on about that area for the majority of this uh, of this pod so far. We kept Brian at arm's length for periods in us in the sense that you know we weren't constantly under pressure. I tweeted out the match XG timeline and pretty much until about the 65th, 70th minute, it was broadly the same that Brighton had better chances. But, you know, even in spite of that, they had very good, what seemed like good opportunities um, at the time in isolation. You know, there was the header at the back post. I think it was Lewis Dunk. There was um, another one. Jakob Murder had one. Even Danny Welbeck, it was speculative. It was from distance, but at least he had a shot. You know, we weren't even, we weren't even. Um, oh, sorry, not Welbeck. I think it was Mopay, but we weren't even, we weren't even doing that. And then when it came to the the goals, you know, they were both incredibly easy, really, weren't they? As I said right at the top, that we knew, we know about Brighton that they've got good wing backs. Tarek Lamptey is excellent. He showed on a number of occasions why he's so good yesterday. He motored down the side, the, the our left hand side there puts the cross in, and there's nobody within probably four or five yards in any direction of Neil Mope. And you just think, you know, how easy do you make it for him? Because, it, you know, the way the ball bounced and what have you, it was an awkward shot. So if someone gets tight to him and closes him down, that probably isn't a goal. Even the second goal, it makes no difference in the end because it's two minutes from time. But Adam Webster's had two bites of that. And no one, you know, Kiko is on the floor trying to block it, but no one else has gone, oh, crap, I need to get, you know, at least try and make his make his life difficult. You know, they were just so soft, and there were other you know, countless other occasions where you go, "Well, he's free." What you know, it was it was some. Re- and it's obviously easy. Harry hindsight has twenty twenty vision, but it's just you know, it was so easy on so many occasions for them. I was kind of surprised when the, I saw the XG uh, timeline had us kind of level for for a long period because in reality, in the game, it always felt like they had carried far more of a threat than us. So. Yes, we kept them at arm's length again for, for periods like we did against West Ham. But, you know, chances, on a basis of chances, they were head and shoulders above us. What do you think Watford's uh, need to do to, um, to, you know, to start getting those, those victories? Is, is it beyond us, Jordan? I just think we have to. We just, we just have to actually have a, a, an attempt to look for balance and, and stop hoping um, that, our, that our front two are capable of doing something. It starts with it starts with the players you put on the pitch. Of course, uh, I'm not asking I'm not asking us to I'm not asking Rory to to change his his mindset completely and you know go away from everything he knows. But I'm just 
praying that we see a little bit of flexibility here because you know it, it's it's already the concerning thing is it was at the point where it felt like that was really evident anyway but so and to still see no change coming to this one it's just kind of you know it leaves you a little bit kind of worrisome for what's to come but I mean, in the short term, that's the best thing we can do. It's kind of the only thing we can really hope for, I'd say, is to to see some some sign of adaptation and change coming into the Villa game. And that starts with selection. So for me, that's that's the first thing. And then obviously, kind of the things we discussed in the pitch kind of speak for themselves, what we have to do in that sense. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm looking for is, is that two o'clock on uh, Saturday afternoon. Well, Watford under Ranieri were, um, were more attacking. They had a, more of an attacking style. Would you think, the fans prefer to see that again, even though you know it wasn't, you know it wasn't it wasn't getting us the victories. But we don't have to be one or the other. Though. We can find and you can find that middle ground, and you can. It's also you can have ways of attacking with structure. You can have you can set up to be a little bit more counterattack, and we can start to include players in the team that are able to to contribute more in the situations that we're given. The the, the way we played yesterday, if you asked, say. Imran loses to do Yash Kutch's job. Would we have had more offensive threat playing with the same structure being Arsene Roy? But Imran loses still going to bring you different elements to the team if he's being put in that lineup. Are we going to see a, probably an increase in production offensively? I'd say probably are. If you do the same on the left hand side, maybe you kind of maybe you have a little bit of a of a gamble on asking Dennis to play that role asking him to tuck in a little bit more. Or even in the forward positions, what if you play Jao Pedro instead of Josh King and, and look to have someone that's going to be a little bit more creative? Uh, you know, what there are, there are ways to do it within Roy's system. I'm not asking him to go away from what he believes in, the, the structure he feels comfortable and that's what's allowed us to be solid defensively, sure. But you don't have to be so all in on one, one aspect of the game that it completely cuts you off from the other end, especially when we have to be winning. It's not... If this if this was happening when we appointed Ranieri, if Hodgson had come in at that point, and this was the performance when 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 we appointed Ranieri, kind of earlier in the season, we had more time to kind of slowly incorporate some of those facets. Then sure, but we're not at that point. This is win now, and we're not doing enough. We're not looking like we're trying to win now, and that's my concern. I saw a tweet yesterday. Uh, actually, I've seen quite a few tweets that are quite similar, and I wonder if you guys have seen them too. More or less, they're saying something along the lines of. Uh, they feel very disconnected with the club, that they feel like the club has no identity and that they're falling out of love with with the game. Um, I was just wondering what your guys' opinion on that were, if you have seen those tweets and, and you know, if you, if you can expand on, on what your feelings are towards it. Yeah, I have. They're, they're fairly unavoidable. And to be honest, I feel, I feel a similar way. Um, I thought it was quite, it was another, I mean, I look for these things or point these things out quite a lot, but I, I thought it was another kind of a contrast there yesterday to have, you know, to welcome back Ray Lewington and have the family stand renamed after Anne Swanson, you know, two people who have played significant parts in the history of the club. Um and then we had this kind of rabble of of players, you know, the latest manager, it's not his fault, um, you know, kind of come out and, and, and put that performance on um, in, you know, a season, in a period of time where we're churning over players, churning through players and managers and coaching staff and personnel. 
and what have you. I, I, I think, you know, for the first time, and then people have, you know, a lot of people have kind of said this sooner than me, but, you know, we are we are struggling for an identity. I don't want to say losing our identities. You've always got an identity. It just might not be a good one. Um, but I think we are struggling for an identity. And I wrote this when Ray Lewington came back, you know, when he was sacked, I can, you know, partially because I was only 15 or whatever, but I can remember it so clearly. I can remember thinking, crikey, we're going to have a new manager. That's going to feel weird. Um, you know, things are going to change. Uh, you know, now we, we barely get the chance to know these managers. So it's it's not a surprise that they barely get a chance to stamp their own identity on the side in terms of tactics. You know, players come and go. We don't get attached to many players for very long. So it's hard to say this team has an identity of, of a style of play or characteristics or, or what have you. Um, and a part of that is the modern era as well, I think, right? You know, footballers are more detached from fans or fans are more detached from footballers than ever. But I just think all of these factors kind of add up and it makes it very hard to feel, get a kind of warm feeling, a positive feeling about Watford at the moment. You know, the things that, make you happy a few and far between they are seeing they are things like seeing Anne Swanson recognised for her contribution to the club and, and, and whatnot and a nice round of applause for Ray Lewington who obviously was you know quite unceremoniously sacked and never got his opportunity to say goodbye after doing a good job for two and a bit years it's it's things like that there's nothing warm I could really say about this um, or nice or I could posit- or positively say about this team and that's probably been the case for quite a while we've been you know we've been on a slippery path and it's it's getting it's only getting more slippery so yeah I can I can totally emphasize with that point of view what about you guys yeah I think it's tough I think it's tough when you feel there's a, there's a connection that's been slightly lost um over time I think I think yeah obviously the, the kind of magic the coaches and, and players play a part in it for sure but I think even I think even just the the fatigue of of restarting every season in, in some capacity does kind of kind of weigh heavy after a while, and it's not so much for me. It's not the managing the players necessarily, but it's the it's the the understanding of of what we are. And when you say identity, yeah, that we you kind of maybe it's a, a false fallacy. You have an identity, but at the same time, there is there is something to be said for it in the sense that um, when we previously had you know kind of a, a a style that we we recruited for both in players and coaches. We kind of go back to that example when we first brought in Zola and kind of continued from there on with Sonino and and Yukanovic. Eventually, they all kind of had some similarities in how they played. The players all fit the kind of system we had. You know, an understanding of what to expect from from Watford as a club on the pitch, and that's obviously gone away a little bit. It makes it harder to to kind of connect and, and have that excitement or kind of see where things are going towards and I think as Watford fans we're generally pretty pragmatic we're not expecting us to be top of the league or anything in the Premier League but we are expecting to see just an idea of kind of some incremental improvement along the way and each season it feels like we start and especially in the Premier League the last couple of years I think particularly the, the real thing that's been fatiguing over our last two Premier League campaigns is that we've effectively written the season off before Christmas and are waiting to start again by changing coach deciding okay objective now has gone from seeing what we could do being optimistic you know kind of having a little bit of positivity to we have to avoid relegation at all costs even though we all know that relegation is avoiding relegation was a primary concern you'd like to think there's a little bit more to it than that or at least the hope or possibility for there to be but obviously second gratia as early as we did and then also um with with Cisco too you know the season's effectively a a write-off in some regards and you kind of have to wait again to start a new season with some optimism I think that's taxing 
And especially when I think some of the comments that I've seen has especially been from people that travel to games. I mean, I, I had a season ticket 15 years and I I had to travel to to every single game. I, I lived a couple of, about an hour and a half away. And even that, it's not the most that people travel, but it does wear on you when you go to these games. It's leaving the game and knowing you've got a journey ahead of you. We all experience it with away games, but when you do it for every home game too, it does it it does make things kind of, it, it magnifies how, it's your whole it's your whole day, Jordan. I mean, for some people, they get away with you know, turning up at, at, at three, spending a couple of hours, and then going off to do whatever they want of having done you know their own thing in the morning. But for you, you're getting up early in the morning, and the whole day is revolving around Watford. It's about the travel there. It's about probably having lunch there, watching the game, and then the travel back. And by the time you get back, it's basically the day's done. So it's a significant part. I mean, that you know that that's one seventh of your week. So it's a it's a it's a significant part of, of, you know, of your life. I remember the feeling very vividly, you know, you get in the car at 11 o'clock, you head down to the game and then you get home 7.30, o'clock. And when it's been a, when it's been a rough game, I remember, I remember particularly, especially the, especially the games you go to, actually kind of at Brighton at home, actually, is, is another example. Um, the game that Migo Britos got sent off and you spent all the time travelling down in the preparation to get there. And look, I know people travel more than me. I'm not saying this is a unique feeling to people that travel to games. I'm just saying my perspective and Britos gets sent off in the first few minutes you know the game's effectively a wrap or at least kind of you're significantly damaged you think oh, I just <laughs> I've put so much energy uh, to get in to get into this game and be in here uh, and, and this is what you're rewarded with I remember one one side and I'm going off going to go off on a tangent here but contrary to that when the team does perform it makes it all worth it I remember one time I was coming back I've been visiting Canada um, just before I moved here, I, I came back home. My flight, it was an overnight flight. I got the flight to try and get home in time for the game we had against Liverpool. Uh, it was Marco, it was, I think it was the Marco Silva first game of the season. We drew 3 all, And, you know, terrible sleep on the plane. We had to rush through to, to make our connection. Getting back, landing and going to get our bags. We had to run to get our bags, get through, uh, get through security and everything. Get in, the, get in the car, speed down there, just made it in for kickoff. And it was a game, you know, jet-lagged, felt like shit, but it was a game we drew through all in the last minute. It was a great game and it was it made it all worth it. I didn't doubt for one sec. And that's the difference that it can have on your day. And the, I know we can't go there and expect to have these positive results every time, but there's an in-between there of seeing the some, some positivity, whether it's from application from the players, some hope in the coach or, or a combination of all these things off the pitch, whatever it is, you have to see that. But when you start stripping these things away one at a time, individually over over the period of years and wears you down, it, it, it makes it hard. And I think that's what people are feeling right now. It's just a disconnection and just a little bit of, of discontent. And I think one of the only things now that actually kind of brings anything together and keeps people still interested isn't what we're seeing on the pitch of the players of the staff it's actually kind of the fans as a collective and i know we interact in, in different ways some people listen to this podcast we talk on the podcast you know people use twitter they have friends they have conversations whatever those are the only things that really at this point feel like keeping us fully engaged and even that can be a struggle at times so what's the what, what's what's the resolution here how do we fix this or rather how do i suppose the the board and the hierarchy at watford fix this because you know, I think, you know, they're probably the people that are going to be able to, to change this. Are, are they even the problem themselves? But ultimately, they're the owners of the clubs. They have they have to have that responsibility and there might be other things out of their control for sure, but they, they ultimately are the ones with the power to change things. And I won't kind of bang on about the same principles I had before, but you have to have a, a full-on, humble autopsy of the issue. 
what what where are these problems coming from what can we do to address them how can we take our ego out of the equation and accept the mistakes we've made and look at ways to rectify and move on and try and collaborate towards a singular goal starting with kind of every aspect of the club i know that sounds easy just to say that i know there's much more complications that come into play once you're in the position to do so but you have to at least be working towards that. And once you have a group of uh, a group of staff, you have a you know collective goal in mind, and you work out how can you allocate each individual unit into pushing towards this. How can we kind of help each other move into a direction we want to do so, rather than having this kind of segregated, separated system we seem to have right now. Until you do that, until you are humble enough to assess that situation, you don't see any change. But that change does affect how the fans interact with the club too, and it's 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 a total. It's a, it's a, it's not it's a singular thing. It's not separated. Then you want to have that unity on all platforms and I think until you kind of at least start working towards that you're never going to change that feeling that we have around the team right now until you start to see some signs of that happening mm. I think we're some way away from um, fans turning up to the game with placards saying Pozzo's out though I think people still have a lot of respect for what they've far, done man. so far no you really you think we're close to it I, I don't I don't I mean close maybe is on close maybe not but the thing is I Sorry, I know I'm rattling on here, Tom. I'll let you interject in a second. Um, the thing is that you, just because you have respect for what's been done and where we are and how much worse it could have been, you can't let the negativity of the former owners impact your opinion of these owners. It's not how it works. You know? mm. not, that's not a fair, object way of looking at things. You have to think about what these owners are doing. Only compare them to themselves because that's the results that they, they've had. I don't just mean kind of results on the pitch but I mean the things they've done lots of positives for sure but there are still holdbacks and still drawbacks that come with them and just because they've done good things doesn't mean you can't criticize you know the the one good the good things they've done doesn't wash out the bad things the bad things don't wash out the good but you have to be able to look at them and say where are we now are we progression are we progressing are we are we declining because we are regressing I'd say as a club and we have been since uh since the FA Cup season we've been slowly falling down and the the promotion season can pave over some some big cracks that have been there for a while and I think if fans start to get disgruntled with ownership they they might not all have an opinion which is accurate I might not have an opinion that we all might not have opinions which are accurate in terms of which is, what is going wrong and what is going right in, in all in all aspects of the club because it's hard for us to say specifically but the ownership ultimately have to take responsibility for those whatever they are and I'm not saying poses out I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm gonna be turning up with a banner to Vicarage Road but the questions are allowed to be asked and I think the longer they continue without addressing them and you know these kind of half statements you get from Duxbury and this promise for change mm-hmm. that's all well and good but what have we seen towards that what have we seen backing that up where's the communication now what what's been said since then we haven't had much and I think it's just going to continue until we start to see some of that well I think one of the big issues for Watford fans at the minute is that it feels as though we're repeating the same mistakes and and that is you know criminal isn't it because you can make mistakes and and the idea is that you will learn from them but it appears as though we're just making the same old mistakes over again what about you tom if you come in here and what's what's your opinion of of, of this um whole no absolutely you're absolutely right man it's it's the same old mistakes isn't it i flippantly tweeted it yesterday when i was walking to get the train home but you know i'm I'm so glad we learned from all the mistakes of the last relegation (laughs) because imagine how fucking shit this season would be if we hadn't have learned Mm, um obviously i'm I'm, yeah i'm being flippant sorry going to put an expletive on this but yeah it's that's the thing i think isn't it we hear it's almost like 
we get kind of you know placated with the little they or they think they're placating us with these little nuggets of communication that come out um you know it doesn't go unnoticed that Scott Duxbury was his most talkative after a success, i.e. the promotion last season. Otherwise, they go into their shells and they say nothing, right? And, you know, we all knew what that statement was going to be like when the, I tweeted about it in advance. You know, Ranieri went um, and and as soon as it came out, oh, this squad's more than good enough to... Da, 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 da. No, it's bloody not. It empirically is not good enough. Uh, and, and that is what frustrates people. I think I also think if this wasn't what for a football club and they didn't play in yellow and so on and so forth and we were looking at it, we'd go, God, this, this club is a basket case. And, you, you know, I think supporters of other clubs say that about us. And I think that is becoming increasingly true. That is becoming an increasingly accurate way of looking at things. And, you know, we would look at them maybe not as, as we do of, of the Venkies at Blackburn when they were going through their chaotic periods or Mike Ashley in terms of his refusal to invest in properly in Newcastle and, you know, various other owners that have been um, universally condemned. But, you know, I don't, I don't think we're far off that stage. The, the, the final thing I want to say, and I thought it was a really good tweet. Um, I think it was Patrick McNicholas tweeted this last night. Um, apologies if it was someone else. He said, I don't know, or I hope Gino Pozzo realises how, much damage he's doing to his own legacy. And I think that's the point. They will be always have an element of being untouchable because they rescued us from Lawrence Bassini and they have given us a lot of good times. And I think this is where the fan base is kind of divided. You can be respectful. I think Jordan said this, so I hope I'm not going to repeat what he said, but respectful and appreciative of what they've done uh, and criticise and question what they're doing now. The two things can be... Uh, or, you know, the two things don't have to be, sorry, mutually exclusive. They can kind of live together. And that's the position I'm in right now. That I appreciate everything they've done for us, and we've had some great times. And in the grand scheme of things, we're not rattling buckets down Occupation Road, raising the money to stay alive as a football club and hoping that the players will take a 12.5% pay deferral to get by and, you know, banking on cup runs and so on and so forth. We're not on the brink of liquidation. We're not kicking around at the arse end of Division 4. But... From the grounding we've had in, you know, the foundations that were laid, we've made a spectacular cock-up of everything since, really, the FA Cup final. And and that doesn't lie with anyone other than the decision-makers at the very top of the club. Right. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, um, I think we've probably taken that as far as we can without... Um, questions. Yeah, let's get into some questions now. And uh, Jordan, would you like to uh, read, read, read them out? And, and then answer them as well. <laughs> sure, let's get some let's get some questions in here. See if we can uh, see if we can change the change the pace of this a little bit. Okay. Oh, maybe not. First question is not changing the pace at all. This one's from Mike. <laughs> Assuming we get relegated, who would you like to see come in as manager to oversee a two or three year rebuild project? Versus who do you think will actually come in as head coach until January? Two slash three year build project. I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um. I, w- I would actually love that. I would. I would love that, even if it meant we didn't go didn't go straight up. I think it will be a project. You really? Yeah. No, I do. I do. I don't think. I think it will be the exact same model, you know, um, that we saw last time. Well, it, no, it might be the same hire and fire and model. It might be, but it is a project job when we go down because I'm confident that Saar isn't going to be here. I'm confident that uh, Dennis isn't going to be here. JP10, we've talked about. Could go either way. I'm sure there are others. You know, we, we obviously know that like Ben Foster's on his way. I'm sure there are a few others that are out of contract and so on and so forth. I think, you know, it's not going to be the same as last time. They're going to know that re- the reality of two relegations in three years um, and COVID and everything else is going to bite. And it's not going to be as simple as keeping all the big earners and saying, one more year, we'll get straight back up. I just, I just don't believe that for one second. I think if we go down, which I expect, that team's going to look very different. So it is going to, and I don't think the money's going to be there to replace those players necessarily. We are going to have to tighten our belt and be, um, you know, a bit more restrained in our, our spending and so on and so forth. So I don't think it'll be a foregone conclusion we go up. I do think it'll be a project, but you're right. It probably will still be the chop and change uh, in dugout. Who would you uh, pick? Blimey, I would I, I won't give you a name, but I'll give you a profile. Someone that is young and has a very clear identity of the sort of football that they want to play, has a track record of playing that and delivering success with that team, and is prepared to fit into a model where you know they don't have really a span of control outside of team selection the training ground stuff and, and tactics. Um, I don't know who that would be. I'd like to think it'd I've be someone. I've got a name for you. Go on. I've got a name for you. It would never happen. It would never happen. But I reckon Luke Garrard would be a fantastic manager. Oh, bloody hell, that's a leap. I mean, it would be a big leap. But, um, I would I would love to see Luke Garrard. Um, uh, I think that he's a fantastic manager. I really rate him. And uh, look, I, of course, I know him. So it, 
and I you know I can't speak for the majority of managers in the world because I don't know them but I've been able to you know witness um you know how Luke manages his players and um and I just think that he uh, is destined for a a job in the league next year whether Boreham would manage to get promoted or not I think that uh, people will have seen um the qualities that he's shown recently and it's probably not going to be in the championship let's be honest it's going to be probably in league league one or two but um i think that he's destined for good things if if i'm looking more realistically i would say i would very much like to see um diego martinez um i think that he would be a, a, a suitable candidate he's been linked with us before um he obviously knows the pozzos uh because he was um managing at granada i don't know if he was managing there whilst he whilst they were owning it uh, no, I don't think he was, was he? I'll have to double check that. But um, they're probably familiar with him and um, he loves um, England as well. He's uh, he's very much enjoyed coming over here on holidays and having a look around. And I feel as though he's looking for a job um, probably in the EPL, to be honest. But maybe he would take a, a, a job in the Championship, possibly with a team that is towards the top end. And I think that he would look at us as being that, even if... Um, we may not be that when we when we actually get relegated. I think it might be a, a, a different picture next season compared to the season that we had after the last drop. But um, yeah, those would be my two shouts. One extremely uh, random one, and um, and one maybe a bit more with some logic. I think. Yeah, I think I think um, I, I think that Diego Martinez is a good good one because obviously he has been linked with the club there was supposedly some discussion there and there's there's a possibility for that to, to happen especially kind of if he's waiting for the summer to find a club then you know you, you have that chance to, to bring him in and I think he's someone that you can you can build towards a little bit you can build around a little bit and you can find you can find ways to kind of fit this team into what he's doing it maybe kind of bridges that gap and if you are going to move into a, a project-based route then he's someone that could maybe make that make that a little bit easier um, yeah, I think that's probably a good shout. I, one thing I kind of i i do want i do wonder if um, it, it's probably unlikely just because of where he is now and kind of what I think he's vying for. But I i, I kind of feel from what I know, I think Gerhard Struber was also someone they did feel quite good about. And I know he's kind of gone to he's gone to New York and he's he's probably vying for the um, for the Leipzig job eventually by being at um, at New York right now, but. He was someone that I feel like it wouldn't surprise me to see the club go back to someone they've previously been linked to, kind of look at some of the coaches that they were kind of interested in recently. I think, you know, maybe he's not an option now based on where he is, but Roger Schmidt was one that I think they felt quite good on, which never kind of quite came through. He's probably more of a Premier League one, but I think we have to be looking at looking at coaches that, as the as the question asks, that have to be somewhat of a, a rebuild and potentially with an eye to keeping a little bit longer because I don't think that we really, even as a club now, feel like we can continue to do so for an extended period of time, especially in the Championship when there's going to be so much upheaval. Um, I, I think the idea, even though it didn't work out, I think the idea originally when we got relegated last time was to, to do that with, with Ivic, but obviously that didn't kind of come through to, uh, to fruition. Do you think whoever gets appointed will get the time required or will it be the same case of as soon as he starts <sighs> losing games, he'll be asked to leave? And and would 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 the fans actually back a decision to stay with a head coach if he's not getting the results? But but they but, but they can see something happening on the pitch. 
Yeah, no, I think I think a hundred percent. I think the fans a hundred percent stay behind the coach. They can see they can see things developing, but the results aren't there. Especially when at the beginning of the season, when I think this, I think the club person, I, I think the fan base as a whole would rather than have a, a one season three manager promotion run where you have you know you have a couple of managers come in, you have a, a quality group. Basically, the, the promotion run we had to get into the Premier League this this season. I think a lot of fans would take a playoff run with a head coach that wasn't it, we, the results weren't quite there, but you felt like there was more of a plan and more of a structure coming through, and you started to feel that identity coming through on the pitch. You started to get excited about the football club again. I think that is far more appealing to a lot of Watford fans than the instant promotion and having to reset again in the summer. Would it be dangerous for the board to come out before the start of the season and say we're going to back this guy until the end, even if it means relegation yeah. to League One? It, they'll never they'll do that. Do that. They'll never do that. I don't think anyone would because ever do that, really, but it would be interesting, wouldn't it? I know you're saying, though. I know you're saying it's it's a statement. It's, it's something that, you know... Well, I mean, it, would it would it enable the the coach to relax enough to to build without the fear of... Or, or do you need that fear, almost, to, um, to be able to ensure that you're on top of your game? I don't think you need that fear. I, I think... I don't think Cisco was right for the job personally. I don't think I think he wasn't right for the job that we needed in the Premier League anyway. But I mean, definitely things that I've from spoke, people I've spoken to, I know there was an immediacy to the way he played and the way he set up. He he didn't have any plan to look at things long term because he knew how how hot the seat was, and you know that that does affect how the club is run. It affects the ideas you put in. It affects kind of implementing things that are a little bit more advanced because you don't have the time to have bad results. And there's a lot of elements that go into it, but I know it's clear that coaches are feeling that, that pressure. And yeah, it would help. And there are benefits to doing so. If you come out and say, look, we're backing this guy no matter what, he's our manager, he's our coach, there are benefits to doing that. But I'm sure from the from the board's point of view, that the, the cost, the negatives outweigh those benefits, even though from our perspective, it would be quite refreshing to see. I just think it's one that would probably struggle to uh, to get through. We spent quite a lot of time on that one question, actually, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we have, actually. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Someone who's not feeling the pressure right now, Roy Hodgson. I mean, he's, he's got nothing to prove, has he? I mean, he's, he's proved it all before. He This is probably his last, uh, you know, job. He, he's he got a lot of freedom, I guess, at the minute. Yeah, and honestly, I hope that freedom would give it. I, thought, I, I hope that that lack of fear and, you know, just being able to to kind of do what you want effectively because what are the repercussions going to be? I thought that might kind of maybe give us a little bit more of a room to to, to gamble and try some things, but as of yet, it seems that we're going to get the same. Um, okay, so thanks for the question, uh, Mikey. We spent a while on that. Next one, Vic Bait. What's the point of improving the defensive shape if it's at the expense of any attacking threat whatsoever? This feels exactly like Kike's second spell and will go the same way. I think we covered that question quite heavily just through the, the conversations we've had, but I mean, completely agree. I think we all unanimously agree on that one. It's a good question. I think we we answered it. But um, yeah, I, I I can't I can't give you a, a, a I can't give you an answer that's going to make you feel better about the situation because I completely agree. And I, I think it's the wrong or at least a very risky approach to take at, at this point. Anything on that, guys? No, I think you're right. That there's definitely been improvements defensively, but if you don't score um, and you still yeah. manage to concede, then. <laughs> What is it? What does it, what does it matter? Yeah. It's the most simple. It's the most simple equation in football, but it's it's still relevant in this in this question. Tom, anything on that? No, I think you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, if you can't score, you won't win. So yeah, there we are. Yeah. and that's exactly yeah. where we are. At Not often. We, we we conceded two, and I still felt as though the defense had a decent game. 
I think Kamara has been fantastic and he was probably one of our man of the match potentials uh, for yesterday. Um, And I think Foster had a good game as well. He made some really crucial saves and, uh, you know, even had that accidental, amazing um, (laughs) drop ball out that almost set us up for a for a move. So, um, you know, I, I was pretty happy with the defence, despite, despite the fact that we conceded too. I think you're right. Kamara has definitely been the bright spot in the last couple of games. Um, Jack, what does Tom Cleverley actually do? <laughs> I love the guy, but he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't offer anything of any value, particularly when we play with two banks of four and aren't pressing. Why is Roy playing him? Yeah, this... uh, comfort, for one, I'd say. Go on, Tom, you go ahead. I'd answer the last one first. You go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is a very good question, I think, because and I, someone tweeted, it might have been Jack, someone tweeted this earlier and I replied and I said, I think he's, you know, for a long time been better out of possession than in it, hasn't he? As we've discussed, you know, as, as one of those kind of pressing midfielders, then great, but you still need to be able to look after the ball when you get it. I, 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 I'm aware that I'm in danger of contradicting myself on Tom Cleverley a bit, though, because I always... You know, whenever he comes back in, I thought, oh, yeah, Tom Cleverley, I like him um, in there. But, yeah, yesterday was not a good day for him. But I suspect a lot of that was borne out the fact that he was, you know, in a bad team performance. He was out of position and asked to do something that he was not familiar uh, not familiar with. So I would like to see us change to a shape that gets more out of him, uh, more, for, more of what he's good at out of him, which I think is 4-3-3, to be honest. So, but I don't know if we're going to see that. I'd rather have Cleverly than Kuchka because I feel as though when Cleverly chases somebody down, he's not going to pick up a yellow card. He's going to, you know, probably make a decent attempt of getting the ball back. And also, I think his passing is better than than Kuchka. I know it wasn't. On, I know it wasn't nearly good enough um, yesterday. But uh, I, you know, I think Jim. And, and also, I think he's more of a leader. He's more of a leader, and he cares more about the club, and he's got more of an affinity to the team because obviously he's got a bit of a legacy here. He's played most of his games in his career for Watford. Um, you know, Kuchka's a, a gun for hire that uh, can't fire. <laughs> <laughs> that might have to be the show. That's the, name of the, that's the name of the part. That's the name of the yeah, episode, yeah. That's class. <laughs> Kuchka's a gun for hire. I think also... <laughs> I think also... Um, I think Tom would probably be a little bit better suited to the right. There's a couple of occasions where he, he tried to use his left foot to put the ball in the box and one for a cross and sure. just some wasted possession that came from that too, which is really, really poor. In terms of what he does, I mean, I do think comfort plays a big part. I think knowing, kind of being a known quantity to Roy helps a lot. But I just think it's the it's an ingredient that doesn't quite fit this this kind of... Well, I mean, it does fit because the, the outcome is kind of what we're expecting or what Roy's expecting in many ways. I think I think Tom, apart from obviously retaining possession, with better is doing pretty much what he's asked to do. But I, I just think it's a it's a waste of cleverly. It's a waste of uh, of a position for us where cleverly can be impactful for us. But I just think this is not the way um, that, that we use Tom cleverly to to kind of help this team at this point. Um, all right, Ricky's next. How the hell can no coach see that loser is by far our best midfielder and offers something completely different? Well, I don't think it's always been blindingly obvious, has it? At the start of the season, he was struggling. And he's kind of increasingly come into the team. Then he had AFCON. I don't know. Morocco went out in the quarterfinals, which was January 30th. Um, you know, he's probably had the sufficient kind of breaking him back in uh, period that he needs. But as I said earlier, he's got to start going forward. Uh, what, what do you guys make of that? Well, I, I don't know how they can't see that 
because uh, okay, no. To be look, to be fair, when he first his first game, he wasn't fantastic, was he? That, uh, it's a little bit like um, a shortened version of of Decore, isn't it? When when Decore first mm-hmm. got his chance, he wasn't um, he wasn't quite there. But um, uh, you know, everyone could see after you know a little bit of a run that he was um, you know the best kind of uh, option that we had to sort of start the creative uh, pulls forward. No, I'm I'm, I'm my terminology is really bad there, but do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? And, and loser, loser is a very similar. Um, no, he's not a similar midfielder, but he's doing the same job in in a way in in, in being able to start the um, start the plays. Gosh, yeah, I think I think what you're what you're saying is exact. I mean, I think it's a good comparison that when when Decore came into the team, it was it was coming into a team of really struggled to progress that ball from midfield and Decore brought it in a different way of being able to carry that ball forwards and sort of made that connection and started to make things happen a little bit. I think Loser is someone that can that can kind of influence the game positively from a deeper position. Even if you are getting to be more defensive, he can still bring that ball forward a little bit. Um but I think I think that's pretty a pretty good comparison there. Why can't they see it there was the question I get I I don't know why they can't see it. Um, I think I think after the second half they can see it. I think they can now, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any question as to whether I don't think any coaches looked at him and thought he's not a good player and kind of not one of the better midfielders. I think the definitely the I think the more of a question is is why they wouldn't see him as a viable option when he's something different. But then you know maybe that's doing a maybe that's a bit harsh. Obviously he had the, he had been away for Afcon. Ranieri was using him quite a lot prior to when he left. Uh, so I think he had kind of found himself being part of that that team. It's maybe taken Roy, maybe it's taken Roy this game to see it. Hopefully, it's taken Roy this game to see it. But I think the reason that he wasn't playing isn't so much that that Hodgson wouldn't be able to assess that he's a good player and one of the better players. It's more for the fact that he he probably I I my my interpretation is that he probably thought he was too much of a risk to play there because he is more forward minded which is a bit of a concern. That's the only thing I can think of as to why I wouldn't be playing him because, as you say, he offers something completely different and it's something we need quite a lot in those forward areas. So it's frustrating, but hopefully this last game was was enough to show that. Um, okay, another one actually from Vic Bate here. So who would you class as a leader in that squad? I'm struggling to find any. Most of the senior pros are quiet. Nice guy camp. I think that's an interesting question because for two reasons. One, yesterday when the first goal went in, there didn't seem to be any sort of inquest or anything. They just all, you know, someone had their shirt over their face, someone was slumped on the floor. It was just like, oh, yeah, this happens, doesn't it? Here we go again kind of thing. And, it, you know, maybe that's what the reaction's like always, but it just really stood out to me yesterday. Um, obviously, the recruiter sort of all happened in front of me. Um, and, and, and earlier in the season, one of the early podcasts we, we did this season, I said to you guys, is there anything in the fact that we've had about five or six captains at this stage? And obviously, it's been Sissoko pretty much consistently since Ranieri came in and, and made that decision. But, you know, prior to that, we've had Cleverly, Foster, Trustikong, Dini, and I think someone else had done it for one game as well. Uh, but I do look at that team, and, I just, and I've said this before, but I do think, if not leadership, then a lot of Watford know-how and kind of seniority in that dressing room has left in recent times. There's been a big influx of players, and it does just feel like a very disjointed, nomadic kind of dressing room. Um, and yeah, it, I, I imagine there is a bit of a, a leadership void in there. I think, I think Foster is a, probably a decent leader. Trustikong, Cathcart, Cleverly, Sissoko. But yeah, but, you know, are they really leaders, or are they my conflating leadership with kind of um, 
guys that have been around for a long time. Maybe I am. Well, I think it's also conflating it with uh, a physical representation of kind of galvanizing the team on the pitch as leadership. Obviously, we all know leadership takes a lot of different forms and there's lots of different ways to to be a leader on the pitch, whether that's, for example, or kind of stuff you're seeing maybe in a less kind of outward uh, outward way. Um, you know, kind of maybe some of these more quiet conversations off the pitch that contribute to leadership within the, within the squad. But I think, I think, honestly, I think a lot of that feeling and that kind of nice guy camp, it's not a bad way of describing the feel of the club. I think that kind of mental, we've touched on this before, but there's always, there's been a mental frailty within that squad for a while. And it's hard to kind of pinpoint if it's individual players or what, but I think as time's gone on, it's become kind of more apparent to me that, that it is a trickle down effect. And I think the leadership from the top, and, and this is, they're not trying to make this question about criticizing the, the owners again, but I, I do think that you have this leadership from the top and, when you when that doesn't trickle down, you don't have that dichotomy of leadership. Then you start to you start to have these things where you get right down to minute details, these little the playing stuff, which you know are relatively far down the pecking order in terms of decision making and where leadership should be. Leadership on the pitch should be a small aspect of leadership within the club, and I think that without that, without that firm that firm leadership and that those firm ideas coming through, uh, and that that firm direction that's getting kind of broadcast from the leadership, I think that does bleed into every aspect, and I think we see it on the pitch too. Uh, in the kind of final form of it and you know you lose players like Dini and stuff but Dini is kind of someone that you'd say he's that leader he's that guy but even when he was there there are plenty of times when you feel like the club was lacking or the the, the squad was lacking that that kind of not authority but that kind of structure and direction and, and overarching leadership and I think it, it's a real problem that, that we're seeing in, in all areas and I think it's something that has to be addressed and that might be through bringing in different characters I'm sure that will help but it's a ultimately it's a collaborative thing and I think it's something we're going to have to see improve because mindset and, and and being able to be continue to be competitive in these situations and getting through areas that require leadership has been lacking for a number of years I'd say okay okay this one's from Dean says it's not a question more of a statement but Brighton are everything we want consistency continuity and an identity we are a mess on the pitch and the Potters need to change their approach and stop chopping and changing it worked but it's now biting them on the arse yeah I mean we just we've covered that haven't we we've, we've talked about that pretty extensively I hope we've we've satisfied Dean to the, with that question with the answer to that question just kind of by the entirety of all the at least half of the podcast today um, but look he's just he's just echoing yeah just quickly on that just quickly on that yeah he's actually right and, and we talked earlier about someone asked earlier it might be Vic asked what do we do to kind of uh, you know reset the club etc what has to happen if we go into the championship I think you have to look at the Brighton model and they said you know staying up by the skin of our teeth playing fairly negative football under Chris Hewton's fine to a point but we want to aspire for more than that and I think that's what you know Watford got criticised for that with, with Matt Zari but we've not really actually put a culture in place ever since. They just moved on to the next man. I think Brighton is the model to say, right, we're going to, this is how we want to play. We bring in a coach that can coach that way and, and build the team that way off the field for him with the signings that we have. And we give him the time. It's easier to do that when you've got the riches of the Premier League coming in, though, and you're not trying to desperately get back into the Premier League or survive in the Premier League. So, yeah, that's just all I want to add on that. Yeah. I think the last time we did that was was recruiting silver. I think that was the last time we we kind of did something similar to that, and we we obviously we got forced into bailing on that so early. And I think it was always a little bit more short term mind. I think there was always probably more of an understanding that silver aspired to to move up the ladder a little bit quicker. Um, but that was the first appointment. That that was kind of actually almost in some ways the most positive I've been about this club in terms of the direction we were going for a while. 
uh, was when we recruited or when we appointed Silver. That felt like we were kind of starting that process of what Brighton have done with, with Potter recently. So, yeah, I think I think it's spot on. Brighton are exactly where we should be looking for. All right, so this one's from Sean. Is there any hope for another win this season? Considering the three easiest chances we had at that were completely squandered under two different managers. What do you think, guys? Another win this season? Yes or no? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll, defi- we'll definitely get another win this season. I mean, we've got, is it 15 games? Yeah, 15 to go. Or is it four? 15 games. That's a full-on I steam mean, train in the background there. Yeah, that was, I mean, God, you've upgraded timing. there. You've upgraded Love there. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, if you, if you, um, if you had a if you had a a, a dice that uh, had three yeses and three noes on it, and you rolled it fifteen times, um, one of those is going to be a yes, right? We, we, there's no way that we. If you had we, one yes on we, the dice, would, well, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just I feel as though I feel as though the odds say that we're going to win another game. I can't tell you who that game is going to be against. <laughs> The odds, the odds say that we're going to win another one. What right? a bleak point we're at. Well, we're we're going down to dice analogies to decide if we're going to win a game. That's that's. I think that's the that's the statement that's being made, isn't it? The fact that we've been questioning whether we can win a game in, in a relegation battle, we're going to have to have to really fight for. And yeah. well, I mean, no, I mean, I mean this... no, you're right, you're right, Matt. You're not wrong. I'm not criticizing your point. I think pretty much everyone has already kind of agreed with each other that. That we're going down. I, I, I put a little tweet out the other day, uh, yesterday actually, you know, after the disappointment of the game. And I, uh, to be fair, I've only had uh, sixty-nine votes so far. But the question was, um, you know, is it too hard to call, or do you already know that we're down or not? And ninety-four percent have said we're already down. Five um, percent have said, you know, it's still out. It's still out. The jury, but. Um, only one percent of those people. Uh, I don't even know what that is. It's not. We haven't had a hundred votes yet. So less than one person has <laughs> has said that uh, that we're going to turn it around. So I think everyone's accepted that we're down, and that's why we're turning to questions like, "Are we going to see another win this this season?" Isn't that that's mm. so depressing? But from a from yeah. a from purely statistical analysis, um, the odds say that we will have at least one. Right, I think. Yeah, we'll probably win a game. I think you're, you're, you're right. I was sorry, I wasn't trying to criticize what you're saying. We'll probably win a game. Um, it, it's just, it's just more of the yeah, uh, yeah. We'll probably win a game. Yeah, <laughs> don't really have much more to say on that because it's just one of those. Ugh, it's just depressing. I think a more interesting question is: Are we going to finish seventeenth, eighteenth? Oh, sorry, eighteenth, nineteenth, or twentieth? Yeah. At the minute, it feels like twentieth is what's better. Yeah, it's 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 entirely possible. That's that's the way it goes. Yeah, it is. All right, sorry. That anything on that, Tom? No, all good. Depressing. Yeah, yeah. So are we going to are we going to win another game, Tom? Uh, yeah, we will. Of course, we will. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, okay. Man City, I'm thinking. Steve Cutmore, can you analyse Sissoko, please? Unpopular opinion, but he's overrated for me, and I fail to see what he has to the team other than experience. Yeah, I saw that tweet uh, or that question. Um. I mean, I'm not I'm not the analyst here, but um, I feel as though he adds quite a lot to the team. I think he's been one of the brightest sparks this season. But um, I'm going to throw it back to yourself, Jordan, to actually explain why I think I'm right. <laughs> I think he's. I think what in terms of what he adds to the team, he adds. He adds. He does have experience. Yeah, he adds flexibility, tactical flexibility. He, he's an athletic player. He can carry the ball. He can play both ways. 
Um, he, he can contribute in, in multiple areas of the pitch. He's able to play his passing is, is decent. His, his retention to possession is quite good. Um, he, defensively, he works well. He's a good presser. He's someone that can fit into a lot of different coaches' teams. And I think that's something that's at a club like Watford. It's, it's, it's important to have those sorts of players. I think we haven't seen the best of him recently. I think he is best when he's given the license to carry the ball and move forward with it. Um, he's not really able to do that under Hodgson so much, especially playing in the centre role. And there's been discussion of him playing in the wide areas. Maybe that'd be more suited. And look, I'm definitely behind that. If it was a choice between Kuchka, Cleverly or, or Sissoko to occupy a wide role, I'd definitely go for Sissoko personally. Um, but, you know, I think he does offer something. I think it's maybe a little, I think it's a little bit harsh to say um, that, that he wouldn't. Overrated perhaps by some fans maybe. Um, but I do think there is a lot of quality there. Obviously, I think that gets undercut when you see kind of some of the opportunities he's had in front of goal that he's not taken. That's definitely been frustrating. But I think he's a good player and I think he adds something to the team. Um, I just think that it's maybe not the situation for him right now to get the most out of him as a player. Is he still a French international or has he, um, has he left the, the international team? I don't think he's retired. I think it's just a selection right. choice, I believe. Just, I was just, I was just curious. Tom, anything on Sissoko? Well, yeah, I, I get it. I do get it. And I said, I think this on the last podcast, he's got that kind of slightly chaotic quality about him, hasn't he? Sort of, you know, he's a big bloke, he's burly bloke, and he sort of clatters around at a hundred miles an hour. Um, in terms of the, in terms of the tangibles, rather than just you know talking about the leadership, he is after uh, loser and cleverly the midfielder who completes the most. Passes on average per ninety. He's certainly um, one of the midfielders that actually gets the ball into the final third more often than than anyone else, and and, and into the into the box as well. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I would certainly always he would always be in there for me at the moment. I think my three. I would like to see a four three three. I think that, and it can become a four five one with the wide players dropping in very easily. It can become a kind of four one four one whatever. Um, but he would be in he would be in my three with with loser and I think probably Kayembe at the moment um, as a as a pretty much kind of lock really if if I was picking a team for Villa next weekend. Am I am I right in saying that he's a box to box midfielder? I think you get most of him there, yeah. Yeah, and um, you know he kind of brings other people into play, doesn't he? I, you know he's yeah he's he's definitely one of the less bad users of the ball. He's definitely one of the less bad users. I think he's a he's a, he's a very good complement to good midfielders, I think, is what Sissoko is. And I think if you're asking him to be the best midfielder, if you're asking him to be the instigator for everything in your attack, then you're you're asking more of him than what he offers. But I think you have him next to good midfielders or, or very good midfielders, and he's he's a huge complement to those, and he can be a real asset for the club. Maybe we're putting too much responsibility on him to do something that he's not comfortable, it's not his, his best attribute. But I, I think that we'd be a, bit, a, a worse team without him. He's also not a bad leader as well. I mean, that comes back into that last question. No, he's a captain. He's, yeah, he's our captain. So that's, you know, there's a reason that he's been given that captaincy. And this is kind of getting into the intangibles, which obviously it might be harder for us to assess. But I mean, there's been nothing but any any talk that was coming out of Tottenham, um, Tottenham's kind of squad and everything around that was all about unanimously how positive Sissoko was. And I think that's something that comes through pretty quickly. And we have to kind of, you know, one of the previous questions was about leadership and it may not be a traditional sense with, with Sissoko, but he definitely does help in that, in that area. Um, another question was revolving around the pitch mainly, but still it's got to be considered. He's never played below the top division in any team. Maybe you have a chance with us. <laughs> I would actually like to keep Sissoko <laughs> went down, having said that, but 
Um, sorry, I went off on the tangent in my mind there about championship squads. Okay, next question. Marcus, do you know of a good pub for our Wigan away day next season? <laughs> actually, the, the, I, I do. The Swan, the Swan and Railway is actually a very good pub, about, about a mile away from the stadium. Good beer selection, lovely, lovely tap selection, and uh, they've got some nice old cask gals in there as well from the from the cellar. If you're interested, so Swan and Railway, I'd say, Marcus. Any suggestions, boys? Uh, there's a carvery <laughs> that's not far away from there. Um, hang on, let me just quick Google the Red Robin, the Red Robin, which isn't far away from the ground either. Um, is is worth. Uh, going into use George and ten for ten percent off at the Swan and Railway. That's my only comment to add. Oh, I've never been. <laughs> yeah, can you come up with a um uh, oh, a bird go. related um pub, Tom? Mm. Why don't we stop at the Swan first, then no. there afterwards for a, for a bit of food before the game? Yeah, <laughs> there's probably a dog and duck around this summer, isn't there? All right. I think there is actually. Yeah. I think there is. <laughs> All right. Okay. Last question I've got here. Um, let me know if you guys have any others. But Dom Smith, fifteen games left. Can you name the fixtures you believe we will win? All right. Should we go through this? That requires knowing who we've still got to play. This was done on an, on another person's podcast not long ago, wasn't it? And they didn't come up with many. Uh, let's see. Let's have a look if we can. Uh... Oh, should we just go? Should we just go through the games and just all give a win-loss draw, and then see where we're at? Is that what we're gonna do? Right. Okay. So Aston Villa is the first one. Uh, loss. 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 Okay. Good start. Crystal Palace. Um. Yeah. Draw. They're not in a great moment, are they? Draw. Surprise win, but I guess two draws to the to the W means draw. No, no. We'll, we'll mark it. What we'll do is we'll, we'll come up with a with a group collective here. Um, so we'll, this so that will go down as a loss because you got outvoted in this one. Oh, sorry, a draw because you got outvoted in this one. But um, at, we should keep a hold of this and see where we where we fall at the end of these uh, games as well. Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I'm writing it down. Just keep hold okay. of that pen and paper, Tom. Um, yeah, sorry. Okay. All right, next one: Manchester United <sighs> away. Loss. Loss. Yeah, loss as well. I think. Yeah. Okay, March. Um, Arsenal at home. <laughs> Draw. Uh, that... Oh, loss. Loss. Okay. Southampton away. Win. Loss. Loss. Uh, Everton at home. Loss. Loss. Win. <laughs> Such a depressing exercise. <laughs> Are you just are you just being contrarian at this point, Matt? You're throwing out wins like no, no, no. I felt as the, I, I think Everton is a great. Oh wait, oh, hang on a second. I forgot who's in charge of them now. Hang on, they won a football match yesterday. Yeah, no. Um, oh, you know what? No, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking no, pick with what it. you win. want. Pick with your I'm heart. Sticking with it. Win. Good lads. I respect. Okay, it. April. Big big bump for this. Uh, Liverpool away. Need um, even. That will be. That is the usual four and a half goals plus. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Loss, loss all around. Loss across the board. Uh, Excellent. Leads at home. Draw. I think this is a win. I think it's a win. I think okay. it's a win. Brentford at home. Loss. Win. I said that we'd win a game this season, so I need to put one in somewhere. So I'm going for a win. Loss for Jordan. Matt was a win. Matt, nine points from twelve. You're saying, yeah. 
Have I said that? Okay. Well, based on the last four, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man City away. Loss. Loss. Yeah, loss. Uh, Burnley at home. Loss. Draw. Win. What are we? Yeah, what are we doing in that instance? Don't know how we decide that one. I guess draw. Yeah, draw. I guess. Yeah. I think draw. Palace away. Loss. We haven't played them at all yet. Um, we're playing. Pa- we haven't played Palace. Oh, of course. We. Have- I- yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Um, I think we lose it. I think we win. I think we're going to do the double over Palace. Right. I'll tell you what, April is going to be a fantastic month in messy Ireland. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> we've, 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 got, we've got five wins from seven. <laughs> okay, uh, last two. Uh, Leicester at home. <laughs> win. Uh, well, they're not great. Draw. Loss. <laughs> and, Ch- and Chelsea away. <laughs> Loss. 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 Okay, cool. So um So what does the what does the Watford buzz have us at? I think we're gonna get seven more points this season. Jordan thinks we'll get two, five, eight, <laughs> eleven. Okay, please. Matt Oh, we win the title under no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, three, six, nine. Matt was win or loss. He didn't predict a single draw. <laughs> three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen points under Matt. Crikey. That would see uh, us uh, comfortably <laughs> safe, wouldn't it? Easy. But the actual consensus, but I'm just tying up the actual the sort of average, as it were. I still think we are going down, by the way. I'm not quite sure how my uh, <laughs> how I managed to be so optimistic. Uh, draw loss, we called a draw. Zero, so one, seven, nine, nine points. Nine points? That, that is the sort of average, yeah. We... So that'd be, that would leave us on, so if... So that's 24, I think, we would have at the end of that. We had, at this stage of the relegation, 2019-20, we had 23 points, around 15 at the moment. So we're already eight points behind the season when we got relegated. Yeah, no, so what was Matt, what was Matt suggesting again? Because that, that's going to bring some clarity here. 18. So that's basically yeah. uh, 33, right? Which could still be, it could still keep okay. us up. Could, but that's it. Even with Matt's optimism, I think that's telling in itself, isn't it? That Matt was the most optimistic out of the three of us. Even with another 18 points, we're still touch and go for safety. The fact that we have to accumulate more points than we have at this stage within the last 12 games is... Exactly. But what we're, what we're forgetting here is that, in some ways, it matters more about what the teams around us do than it does about what we do. Because if we yeah. win... Well. Let's no say the three that we thought we might win, but everyone else only manages to win two more. We still could be in with a shout. I think that's the problem, though, because teams around us are actually improving in some they ways. Are, you know, like New, Newcastle are winning right now, and Norwich have gotten better. Like it's just, yeah, exactly. I think was it? Did I see that was our sixth home defeat in a, in a row? Yeah, which we have not done. When do you think we last lost six home league games in a row? God, was it the first time we were in the Premier League? This is a good slash depressing stat. Was it the first time we were in the Premier League? I don't think we did. No. I don't think we did. No. no. God. Well, I don't even know. <laughs> you almost don't want to know. 1990. This is the worst home run I wasn't even in, a, following what in our lives. In my life and Tom's life. Yes. Sorry, Matt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
two-year-old me was furious uh, at the time. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, maybe it was a good year to not be able to go to the games. Um, yeah, okay, well, I think that's our prediction there. I think that pretty much covered that one. Um, and that's all the questions we have for today, I think, guys. Going down, going down, going down. <sighs> <laughs> it's about the size of it. <laughs> It will. It will get to that point. Well, you know when you know when fans start to sort of like the whole collective have decided it's happening, they'll start singing on the terraces. You know, sort of owning it almost. We're like we're going down. What else are you going to do? Uh, what else yeah, you going to well, do? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I'm just saying what's going to happen. Yeah, I know. Um... I'll top this up as a little Excel spreadsheet, and we can see how we actually uh, fare. And you can post it our predictions out if you want. Um... Yeah, sure. And then we can each send a handwritten apology letter to Roy Hodgson when he not only manages to keep us up, but also keeps us, gets us in uh, close to uh, to getting European football. <laughs> I can't. I can't. All right. Any reviews? Yeah, we do have one, actually. Um, we've got a review from Ben underscore RS5, who has given us five stars. He says, great tactical podcast. This is my favourite WFC podcast. Offers something substantially different to the other main pods, who, by the way, also do a great job offering free content. Uh, a great mix of tactical analysis and humour. And then he's put uh, he's, he's put uh, five out of ten. <laughs> Surely that train noise in the background as you're reading that bumps up to a six, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a six out of ten right there. Well, cheers, Ben. Appreciate that. And uh, um, actually, five out of ten. And he's saying that's good. Well, no, no, it's because we always we always ask for a five out no, of ten, but... don't we? Oh. He's coming. He's Tom. How is he on the inside joke and you're not? Because <laughs> uh, I don't. I've usually switched off mentally by this point. Also, we've got another. We've got another review uh. um, from Hornet Boy eighty four, who uh, says it's um, his title is the right podcast for a different something i can't see the rest of it a diff a differ a dot 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 but he says um the watford buzz podcast is one of a plethora of great podcasts and youtube channels that exist discussing all things watford fc as fans we are privileged to have so many great high quality sources of discussion on the club that builds a wider community what i really love about the watford buzz podcast is that it offers a different approach to the others and carved out its own niche through the great analytics data and insight that Matt, Jordan and Tom regularly provide, more so Jordan and Tom. It remains high quality, balanced and fits perfectly into the listening spectrum if you want to consume lots of different angles of all things Watford. One tip, always, always listen right to the end as the boys let their guard down and chat more informally about banal topics. <laughs> and it's a bit like a Marvel reveal after the credits. And it's just fun. I think <laughs> it's, it's accidental, but it that's works. That's amazing. That's the best review yet. Oh, this is John Parslow yeah, signing yeah. off. But uh, keep up the good work, guys. John. And by the way, my favourite presenter is dot, dot, dot. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Leave us hanging. A little bit of a cliffhanger at the end as well. I like it. Um, yeah, cheers to that, John. I mean, we speak to John a fair bit on, on Twitter as well. So that's really nicely to write in and, and give us the review. Um I mean, I'm I'm just thrilled to be. I'd never thought of the Marvel kind of the end the end after credit sequence uh, comparison before, but I think that's quite. A, we need we need to actually have a, a some sort of ending song now that we can really really kind of come out of the woodwork with that uh, that after credit sequence kind of conversation. I think that's the only way to yeah. progress that now. Yeah. By the way, do people like the song? Is the song okay? 
Uh, I mean, I picked it a long time ago. Well, the I've start never actually the... asked. I've never actually asked. Where did that even come from? Ah, uh, Soundstripe, I think. Soundstripe. Yeah, okay. it's it's a. Uh... I wasn't sure if that was a Matt Messi on the original. Or no, not. it's real royalty-free <laughs> um, thing. Allows me to. What's what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. I mean, I'm sure we. I'm sure it's something we could get to at some point, creating our own. Yeah. yeah, when we get when we get big enough, um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. But, but if people like it, then uh, it works. But if not, then we can change it. We, you know, we're open to open to things. Um, what else do we have to say? Um, oh yeah, uh, can can we get a few more likes on the on the Twitter page if that's okay? Everybody listening, um, we have three hundred and thirty five followers, mm. which is fantastic. But we have regularly more than that people that listen to us. So. Um, just, just drop us a follow, and then you can stop being lazy. If you, <laughs> if you like us, like us. Um, it really helps Matt's ego when he can go on his Twitter account and see how many <laughs> followers there are on the on the Watford butt. Well, my own personal Twitter account has plenty of followers. Not see, <laughs> but um... it's coming through right now. Yeah, please go and follow us um, on every single platform you can do, which I think right now is only Twitter. So that shouldn't be too hard. It's only Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you want to uh, join us on Patreon, you can find us by just going, just typing in Watford buzz podcast and Patreon, and you should be able to find us there. Um, no, um, that was, there was Spotify. Were they, were they both Spotify reviews? No, no, you don't, you don't actually get Spotify reviews as such. You just get oh, stars. So that, that was from the, um, the iTunes. iTunes. That's how you, can send us a message if you basically find us there um and click on the actual show and then go down you can put a little uh rating uh out of five um but the joke is tom that we ask people to give us five because what it really means is five out of ten we're capped at five like, our quality I mean, it's is not, no it's not when, when you have to explain it it's not really that funny. <laughs> also also if you if you are on if you are on twitter and stuff and once you've followed the uh, the podcast, of course, come over and feel free to to give any of us a message, a private message, if you want to ask a question or talk about something, something you want to be discussed in the show. More than welcome to listen to those things. Um, I will shout out. Yeah, at Jordan Weimer, at TB Bedell. And um, at Messi. Have, have we asked you, Tom, why it's at TB? Yeah, surely. My my middle name is Bertie, so Tom Bertie Bedell. <laughs> surely Tom that what? rings a bell. <laughs> what how have we not known that your name is Bertie Bodell the whole time? I'm not calling you anything else. What? <laughs> no. you, you must have asked that. You must have asked that. Uh, I mean, the fact, the fact that you... <laughs> I think you've forgotten. The, the fact that you don't go by Bertie Bodell is a travesty, Tom. Why have you got anyone calling you Tom? I hate it. Really? Honestly, I hate That's it. a great middle name. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. But why don't I put it in my Twitter handle? Yeah, I was going to say. It does invite this question, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's an oversight from me, really. <laughs> well, I'm oh, a big fan, so that will... Uh... Yeah, I like that. That's a good name. Bertie Bodell. Bertie... That's a great name, Tom. Honestly, you should be owning that. <laughs> I'm not even being ironic. Very I good. Genuinely, genuinely think it's a good name. Do you know what? Everyone who isn't called Bertie that I've ever met feels that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the weight of carrying around the name on a day-to-day basis <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of sweets. I'm not quite sure why. Why it's reminding Bertie me. Bertie Massis, isn't it? The licorice. Oh, of course. And my mum, if you ask her, has 
people have in the past will say it's because during when she was pregnant with me she, all those years ago she had a craving for Bertie Bassett's licorice <laughs> so much so that she called her son the reality of it is that it's actually my granddad on my dad's side's middle name but uh, my parents are divorced so she'll never actually admit that uh, I, I think the licorice one is far more accurate probably <laughs> wow I mean, encourages. the name just gets the name just gets better when you hear their origin story. See, this really is a Marvel film, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <sighs> wow. Okay. Right, well, well that one, I, I mean, I didn't think. It how do you end? There, how do you end that? I think. I think the way you end is you say, "From myself, Matt, from Jordan, and from Bertie." <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next time. Uh, right. Nice one. Have a good rest of the weekend, lads. Take care. All right, let's go. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.